Welcome back. We are so glad that you are able to join us today, and I'm grateful that I get to be here with you. As you know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and before we get into our message today, I want to take just a moment to honor that. During the pandemic, we've gotten just the tiniest reminder that our freedom is a lot more fragile than we'd like to think that it is. And Memorial Day gives us the opportunity to remember the American men and women who have given their lives for that freedom. Now, I know and we know that this can actually be a very difficult weekend for many of those who have served and for the families that have lost loved ones as you remember those that you've lost. And we may not be able to know how you feel. It would be presumptuous for us to say that we know how you feel, but we do care and we do mourn with you. So I'd like to invite you to join me in a moment of silence, followed by a prayer to remember the fallen. Let's do that now. Father God, you are our comforter and our counselor. And we know that neither our national liberty or our eternal freedom comes without a price. You paid for our eternal salvation with your own son. And so we know that you feel the suffering of parents who have lost their children defending Americans' freedom. You've heard the cries of their spouses and children, siblings, and their fellow service men and women. And we pray that you would comfort them today and throughout this weekend. Remind us daily that our freedom in both life and eternity came at a price someone else paid. And don't allow us to become complacent in how we respond to those sacrifices. We give you praise, Lord, and we ask for your comfort in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to thank you for taking that moment with me. Never forget. And as we think about the things that have been given to us, today we continue our series on the book of Ruth called Harvesting a Life of Hope. And we've been asking, can you see God's fingerprints in your life, even when you don't hear his voice? Last week, we learned how Elimelech and his family moved away from the provision and protection of God to land of Moab. And then Elimelech and both of his sons died, leaving his wife, Naomi, a widow, and destitute with no way to care for herself or her two daughters-in-law. And one daughter-in-law, Orpah, went back to Moab, but Ruth stayed with Naomi and dedicated her life to the God of Israel. Make no mistake, this family was in crisis. But what we found was that God had been silently working through the whole chapter, through the entire crisis to bring them home. Chapter one in Ruth was all about how we can see the fingerprints of God in our crisis and how we respond to his work in our crisis. But just like God's fingerprints, God's provision is everywhere in our lives too. And that's what we're going to talk about in chapter two today. Can you recognize how God is providing for you and then respond with gratitude? Because here's the key. The key to harvesting a life of hope is humble gratitude for what God has already done. I'll say that again. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen for you. The key to harvesting a life of hope 
is humble gratitude for what God has already done. Now, I normally, when I teach, like to have a nice three or four point message, but not today. God provides in so many ways in our life and in this chapter that we're gonna have to do a rapid fire list of eight points today, eight points. So sharpen your pencils. And if you're taking notes in the Brookwood Church app, then limber up your thumbs. Here we go. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles, if you have it, to Ruth chapter two. If you're watching in our online campus, you can follow along by clicking the Bible tab in the chat window. And if you're watching on any other platform, that's okay too. You can uh, follow along using the Brookwood Church app or just relax and we'll put the verses up on the screen for you. Now, when we last left our heroines at the end of chapter one, they had just arrived in Bethlehem. Ruth is super optimistic. Naomi, not so much. If you remember, she had told everyone to stop calling her Naomi and instead start calling her Mara, which means bitter because she believed that God had caused her to suffer. She believed that God had abandoned her. So you know what? Let's actually back up one verse. Let's read the last verse of chapter one and then move forward into chapter two for a little bit of context. So chapter one, verse 22 says this. So Naomi returned to Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Continuing in chapter two. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Now, even in these just few opening words, we see the first two points in our eight points, the eight ways God provides for us. And number one is this, we harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of providence. We harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of providence. Now, providence is a pretty churchy sounding word and I usually try to avoid churchy sounding words, but the reason that you don't hear that word outside the church, at least not very often, is because only God has providence. So it's the only place you would hear it. So what is providence? Now, don't confuse God's providence with God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is about God's power and his authority, his right to do what he wants. But providence is how he uses that power and authority. It's about his will and his plan. Providence is God's all-knowing work, or if you prefer our phrase from last week, God's fingerprints in our life. Providence means that God is working all the time, that even when we don't see wonders or hear his voice, God is silently working in the events of everyday life. Providence is the source of his provision for us. And you can see it here in the text, right? Naomi and Ruth arrive just as the harvest is about to begin. Now they're in danger of starving, but they get to Bethlehem just as there's about to be an abundance, a surplus of food. That's not by mistake. And it's a small detail in the text, but God has clearly provided them a place to live, right? That's providence. That's God's fingerprints. So in the story, they've just arrived in Bethlehem 
And Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go glean from someone's field, anyone who will let me, just so that we can eat. And so she goes to a seemingly random field, but it's not actually random at all. Look at God's providence in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Of all the fields in Bethlehem, she happens to end up in the field of a rich relative that she's never met. And she doesn't know who he is. And that phrase that we just read, and as it happened, is actually much too subtle in English. The actual Hebrew is closer to, by her chance, she chanced. It's like saying, luckily, her luck luckied. The author is purposefully trying to be absurd. It's hyperbole. He's actually winking at us. It's as close as this author can get to using air quotes. What he's really saying is she happened to show up in Boaz's field. And we're going to see more of God's fingerprints as we go along. But that brings us to number two. We harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of people, of people. Are you grateful for the people that God has put in your life? Now, as we talked about last week, we have to evaluate our relationships. There may be people in our lives that are toxic and they have to go or they have to have healthy boundaries put around the relationship. But God is constantly putting people in your path to represent him in your life. Are you looking for those people and are you grateful for them? He put Ruth in Naomi's path. We saw that last week. And now God is about to put Boaz in the path of Ruth. God uses people to provide for others. Now, Ruth says she's going to go glean behind the harvesters, right? She says that in in verse two. And the reason that she could do that is because of the gleaning laws that God gave to his people to care for others. God required, the way it worked was this, God required every farmer to leave the edges and the corner of their fields unharvested. And it was to be left for foreigners or the poor. And on top of that, the farmers could only make one pass at their own harvest and everything that they missed was also to be left for those in need. Now, I've heard other pastors say that this was Israel's welfare system. And that's technically true, but I think it cheapens what's really going on here. God is doing three things. God is teaching the farmers generosity. He's also providing for those in need. But most of all, this law was put in place to remind them that God is the true landowner. They weren't their crops, they're his. Same is true in our lives. Do you live your life as if everything you have belongs to God? Because as we learn to be grateful for what God provides, we begin to share more and more of it to care for people in need. This law was supposed to remind the people of Israel and make no mistake, it's there to remind us that God's people can and should meet the needs of those who are suffering. 
Now, I have no desire to make anyone feel guilty about giving, but the fact is, and this was reported in Relevant Magazine, that if every Christian gave regularly in just five years, the church could wipe out illiteracy and relieve global hunger and bring clean water to the rest of the world and fully fund all overseas ministries, all overseas missions, and they would still have a hundred billion dollars left for local ministries. That's what would happen if we, the people of God, left just 10% of our fields for those in need. Actually, if we left 10% of God's fields that he lets us oversee. But we in the American church I'm sorry to say, have largely harvested our own fields for ourselves when just the very edges of what we have could provide for every need in our community. You know, th this is difficult, but the, the truth is I've seen a lot of believers during this pandemic on social media complaining and giving up their witness to complain about the government and, and they're complaining about overreach and welfare programs and the welfare state. But the truth is, if we truly lived by this principle, the body of Christ could care for everyone and there'd be no need for government programs. There'd be nothing for the government to overreach into. Yes, God sometimes performs miracles of provision, but most often he does his work through other people. Do we want to be part of that? Sometimes we're called to be Ruth and sometimes we're called to be Boaz. Be grateful for the people God puts in your life to provide for you, but then be that person for someone else. Let's keep reading. Verse four. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to or who does she work for? Okay, a couple of things here. First, there's another wink to us from the author in Hebrew. Ruth just happens to show up in Boaz's field on the day that Boaz just happens to visit the same field. That's God's providence again, right? That's God's fingerprints. And second, here we get a glimpse of Boaz's character. Now, Boaz is actually a rare person in scripture because he's one of very few people in the Bible that is only portrayed in a positive light. Of course, he has flaws, obviously, but they're not mentioned. He's only shown in a positive light. And in fact, the Hebrew in verse one calls Boaz a man of valor or a mighty man of valor. And that's gonna be important to us next week. In a time when most people in Israel have walked away from God, Boaz is clearly a man of faith. He has a good godly relationship with his workers and he knows them. There are other women working in his field, but immediately upon arrival, Boaz says, who's that one person I don't recognize? He says that to his foreman. Let's see what he says. Verse six. And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. 
So here's another person that God has put in her life, right? We keep seeing this. Providence and people, providence and people. The foreman could have been the kind of person who said, oh, that, that's just another foreigner, a dirty Moabite. But no, God prepared someone who would give a positive report to Boaz. Someone who would notice how hard she'd been working all day long. Someone who would see her character over her circumstances. Now notice that the foreman points out that Ruth actually asked permission to glean. That's important. Number three, we harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of permission. His provision of permission. Now, why did the foreman point out that Ruth asked permission to glean? He's pointing it out because he wants to show something about her character, about her humility. Now, we've already covered the law required them to let her glean, right? Ruth could have showed up with her copy of Leviticus and said, uh, in accordance to chapter nine, subsection nine, I would like to claim my right to glean here. I shall take the corner over there. But she doesn't do that. She has the right to be there. But catch this, her character values respect and submission over personal gain. Are we like that? Do we realize that everything we've ever accomplished in life comes from God's permission? Anything that you've ever gleaned in this world, in fact, every new breath we take is by permission from God. And just like Ruth, God allows us to work as a reflection of him. And everything we do broadcasts our character to a broken world. Are we broadcasting the same character that we see in Ruth here? Are we more interested in asserting our rights or reflecting the character of God to a broken world? Do we come before God with demands or do we come before God asking permission to move forward? Now, we don't often think of permission as a type of provision. Usually when we think of the word provision, most people think of our next two fill-ins. And I'm, I'm actually going to give you the next two together because they appear together in the text. So number four and number five are this. We harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of physical needs and protection. Physical needs and protection. We continue in verse eight. Verse eight. Verse eight says this, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. This is actually incredible. Ruth is a foreigner. She's a widow. She's destitute. This is not the kind of person who gets special favor or special treatment in Israel. But Boaz says, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere else. I'm putting you under my protection. You don't even have to walk to the well to draw your own water. You can drink our water. And then Boaz gives strict orders to his men not to touch her. And as we talked about last week, this is taking place during the time of the judges and it was a time filled with despicable immorality. Ruth would not have been safe if she was in any other field. 
So let's see how Ruth responds. Verse 10. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. And then he gives her a blessing. May the Lord, may Yahweh, he uses the personal name of God, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I can continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. See, Ruth can't understand why Boaz is responding according to her needs rather than her station in life. She says, I I don't deserve this kind of kindness that you're showing me. And you know what? It may rock our modern sensitivities, but she was right. Based on their stations and that time and culture, Ruth did not deserve the grace that she'd been shown. Do we approach God's grace with the same kind of humility that Ruth is showing here? Can we cry out what we see in Psalm 8 and say, when I consider your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind? Who am I that you are mindful of them, of human beings that you care for them? Do we understand how undeserving we are of God's grace in comparison to his holiness and his power? Or have we developed a sense of entitlement to the things that he's given us? Do we even recognize the things that he's given us? Yes, we've, we've had a hard time during this pandemic and I don't want to minimize that. It's been hard to find beef. It's been hard to find toilet paper and other types of food. But the truth is Ruth and Naomi could have lived for months off what most of us already have in our cupboards. We've grown so accustomed to God's extreme provision in this land that we're no longer grateful. God has given us so much that we no longer recognize the miracles that are around us every single day. So we continue to ask him for bigger and greater miracles. And don't miss this. While we're looking for a feeding of the 5,000 miracle, we miss the miracle that's already in our pantry. And before we move off this section, let me say this. When we start receiving from God with the humility and gratitude of Ruth, we'll start giving like Boaz. Who has God put in your path to show unexpected favor to? Who is God calling you to provide beyond their expectation for? Boaz saw how God had worked in his fields and then he used those blessings to respond to someone else's crisis. And don't miss this. Crisis is the mission field of the church. 
when crises like this pandemic come, our first response in the church should not be, what will we do? How will we meet? How are we gonna move forward? Those shouldn't be our questions. Our first response should be, this is what we've been training for. Let's go out into the field and see who needs us. Boaz has gone above and beyond. No one would have expected him to do this much for a foreigner. So what do you think he does next? He gives some more. Verse 14. Verse 14. So she's out working in the field and at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine and research shows that it was probably something closer to hummus, but this gesture was a great honor. It was a sign of favor to dip into that. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat and she ate it and she ate all that she wanted and still had some left over. It's hard to grasp this in our culture. But in this time, you don't invite people below your station to dine with you. But Boaz invited her to his table. And other Israelites would have mocked him. They would have ridiculed him for this. But Boaz chooses compassion and acceptance over social norms. He chooses acceptance over his culture. And you know who else? invites the less desirables to sit at his table? Jesus Christ. We harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of perfect acceptance. Ruth did not deserve to sit at that table. And we don't deserve to sit at the table that we've been invited to either. And there's a difference between acceptance and perfect acceptance. Perfect acceptance is without reservation because perfect acceptance isn't based on the worthiness of the guest. It's based on the character of the host. And when we wipe away our entitlement and we see how unworthy we are to sit at Christ's table, we'll begin to invite others to our table. Who has God called you to show perfect acceptance to? Before this pandemic came in the social distancing, when was the last time you invited someone to your table that you disagree with? Or someone who is different from you? Or maybe someone who you think is below your station? This is what we're called to do as Christians. This is how we reflect the love of Jesus Christ by inviting people to our table that we don't agree with. So what happened after lunch? Verse 15. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her so that she can pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. 
Now, most scholars agree that that basket probably held about five gallons of edible barley, and that is a ridiculous amount. The average person out there gleaning by themselves without that flavor, maybe they would have put together a gallon. But she has five gallons. So number seven, we harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's provision of plenty, of plenty. God wants to give you more than you deserve and more than you can gather on your own. In fact, most of us already have more than we deserve. Do you think that you've gathered that on your own? Or is God purposefully dropping things in your path to pick up? And what does Ruth do after she receives all this favor from Boaz? Does she act ashamed to receive the gift? No, she takes the gift. But does she kick back with entitlement and expect more? No, she goes back to work. She accepts the gift humbly and then she goes back to work. Ruth strikes that perfect balance between effort and gratitude for what she's been giving. See, you know, in Philippians 2.12, there's a verse that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that is a verse that has confused a lot of people. People read that verse, work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But how can I work out my salvation? Isn't it by grace? I, th- I thought I couldn't earn my salvation. You can't. But I think Ruth gives us a beautiful example here of what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. See, work out your salvation can better be translated, show the result of your salvation. And fear and trembling can be translated as with awe and reverence. Look, Ruth could not achieve what she'd been given. No matter how hard she worked in the field, she was never going to accomplish what she had been given. But her response to that grace was to do everything in her power to be productive in that grace out of humility, awe, and reverence for the one who had rescued her. And that should be our attitude towards God's grace. How do you respond to all that you've been given? So we see in the text that Ruth works all day and she takes her rewards home to her starving, bitter mother-in-law, Naomi. Verse 18. So she, Ruth, carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that she had left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Naomi is at home, probably stewing in her own bitterness. And I guess that based on the fact that she didn't go help. And remember, she believes that God has raised his fist against her. That's Ruth 1.13. And all of a sudden, in walks Ruth. She's stewing and in walks Ruth with a doggy bag of roasted food and gallons upon gallons of barley. Naomi, who was overwhelmed with grief, is suddenly overwhelmed with provision. Who helped you with all this, she asks. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. And you can almost 
see Naomi's eyes widen. You can almost feel her heart start to thaw. And she says, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to you as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers, or some translations say kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. And good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. And then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. And suddenly, Naomi sees that God hadn't abandoned her at all. He's been working to rescue them the whole time. Because what Ruth didn't even know the whole time she was working in that field is that Boaz is not just a generous man of God, but he's also one of their family redeemers, their kinsman redeemers. And you know what a kinsman redeemer is? Well, we're out of time, so you're going to have to come back next week and learn about the kinsman redeemer. We'll talk about that next week. But what's important here for right now is that Naomi and Ruth are starting to see in their own story what we've been seeing all along, that we can find hope in seeing the fingerprints of God in our lives. So number eight, we harvest a life of hope by having gratitude for God's providence. Yes, that's the same fill-in as number one. And that's because this story begins and ends with God's providence. Even when Naomi thought God was working against her, he was working for her. Without God arranging things for their rescue, they don't make it back to Bethlehem. They don't arrive when the harvest comes. There's no way Ruth returns home on this first day with that much food, only to be told that the man whose field she's been working in may very well save their family. God continues to work silently in their lives. And he's not done. And you need to know he's not done in your life either. Are you looking for where God is working? And are you responding with gratitude? Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of provision. And I know that I am guilty of not being grateful for everything that you've given me. I know many of us take for granted even the breath that we breathe and the food that we have every day and your permission to move forward. And Lord, we thank you for your providence and we ask forgiveness for when we question it. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us today, that you would build us up, that you would strengthen us and that you would allow us to see where you're working, reveal where you're working so that we can be in awe of what you are doing in our lives. And may we not turn away. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
And hey, before we go, I want to remind you that every week we're putting a post up on Facebook called God's Fingerprints. And I would love for you, I want to encourage you so that we can share with one another how we see God working in our lives. Put how you see God's fingerprints in your lives and use pictures and videos and drawings. Have your kids draw pictures and post them up there. Go beyond telling us that you like the service, although I I do appreciate that. And tell us where you see God's fingerprints in your lives. Put that in the comments of our Facebook post. If you're on another platform, then use the hashtag God's fingerprints and tag at Brookwood Church. I'm so, so grateful that you could be here with us today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.